week, that same doubt that the disciples had as they were seeing Jesus, right, even as they were seeing Jesus face to face, doubt crept into their hearts. And not only that, that only this doubt has crept into the minds of Christians and the hearts of Christians, but now many people are starting to, to create their own gospel, one, without an actual risen Savior. And one that says that Jesus is in our hearts like Mufasa was in the heart of Simba as he saw his reflection in the water. He says, oh, my father is with me, right? Like this, like this spiritual thing where Jesus is with us in spirit, but he's not really alive, right? You guys saw Lion King, right? You guys, yeah. There's a BBC article pointing out that 25% of Christians in England do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They see it as a story that's supposed to encourage us, but not really actually believe. But we have to understand that you don't have Christians without the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, Christians are no different from anyone else. Anyone else in the world. There's no difference between a Christian and an atheist, nor between a Christian and a Jew and a Muslim. It all point comes down to the resurrection. If the resurrection did not happen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God and he, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those are who have then those also, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of the most to be pitied. We are all people most to be pitied. So the resurrection of Christ is the linchpin of our faith. And all of what we believe, us and all of the people that lived from thousands of years ago, from all of the centuries, all of the martyrs, and all of the saints, are all of the most pathetic and pitiable people. And what we believe amounts to nothing. So the resurrection cannot be something that we can be vague about. Something that we gloss over. Oh, you know, it may have happened or it may not. Jesus might be alive. I don't know. But let's just kind of, we'll find out when, you know, when it all, when he comes, when in the end, we'll find out, right? When we die and when we see God, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. No! The resurrection of Christ has to be the truth, has to be the reality that we base our lives on. Jesus is alive. He has risen. Amen? He sits now at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. And he is coming back. We cannot be wishy-washy about the resurrection. The resurrection is an undeniable truth for those for the ones that have experienced the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel does not work without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection cannot become a myth to make Jesus more palatable to a world full of cynicism and unbelief. We can't, like, remove the resurrection just so that we can make more people of this world embrace Jesus. Because at the end of the day, without the resurrection... Jesus is just another name, and there is no salvation. 
because without the resurrection, Paul says that we're the most pitiable, the most pathetic people. Today, I want to talk about what the implications of the resurrections are for us. When the resurrection is truth in our lives, what does it bring us? How does it change us? And how does it transform us? And the first thing that I want to say is that resurrection gives us true hope. The resurrection means that we have a hope that is beyond this world. Because true hope is a commodity that's really, it's, it's a commodity that is rare in this world today. I read about a study that was done in, in Queensland, um, Australia, by this doctor. Uh, his name is Dr. Frieder. It's a cool name. And he concluded that more people, that the more hopeful we are, the happier we are. And he, and he mentions, as notes, that a sampling of 10,000 people over a nine-year period showed that people who had high hopes and expectations for the future seemed better off from a, uh, from a happier perspective overall. So hope brings us happiness. For some people, they say, like, oh, you know, money bring, makes me happy. Money brings me happiness. Well, it's not necessarily money that brings them happiness, but it's the hope that money can bring us. We traveled a, quite a bit uh, a while back during our sabbatical, and every time right before a trip that we were going to go on to this, like, far-off destination, I would have these, like, these moments of, like, like happiness. Right? The endorphins would get released in my brain, and I would think about, like, going on this trip, and I'd be like, I would feel so happy and so, so like, excited. The, the closest word to describe it, I believe, is glee. I felt glee, right? Like, oh, we're going to Australia, ooh, right? And when you have money and you have more opportunities to feel this happiness, the hope of a new car, a hope of a new home, a trip to Hawaii can actually bring us this kind of glee in our lives. But you have to understand th something about the thing of the world, the things of the world, all things of the world fade. Whatever we put our hope in that is part of this world, it will fade. And we have hope in money, education, our jobs, our careers, marriage. People go into marriage with hope. You know, th this is woman, this man is going to satisfy me. And my kids will satisfy me. I love my wife and I love my kids to death, but they do not satisfy me. A new car, a new home, whatever it is, they all fade. The hope that we find in the things of this world are just momentary. But we have a hope from the resurrection that is beyond this world. It is a hope that is beyond death. When Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered death for us. 2 Timothy 1.10. But now has been revealed by the appearance of our, Lord, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15.24-26. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the to the God and to God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy that will be abolished is death revelations 21:4 and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no longer any, any be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death for us. 
O death, where is your sting? We have hope that is beyond the death that we experience in this world. Because he rose from the dead, death has no power over him. There's a saying that nothing is certain except death and taxes, right? It's actually true, unless you live in Korea. There's a lot of people that don't pay their taxes in Korea. But there's really true that nothing is, that nothing is certain except for death. We will all face death at some point in our lives unless Jesus comes back before we die, right? But the resurrection tells us that not even though we may face death in this life, we have a life waiting for us that is greater than anything that we can possibly imagine, anything that we can see or experience in this world. We have, we, humans love looking at big and amazing things, right? Who's seen the Grand Canyon? Grand Canyon is massive. I remember when I saw it when I was like in third grade or fourth grade, and I remember looking out and it was like it seemed like endless, and it was so big and it it, it, it looked like it's like this huge flat great land. You can see it from space. It's it's amazing. And when we look at it, we feel all inspired. We love looking at mountains like Mount Everest. Hey, who's ever seen Mount Everest? Anybody here? No? Anybody climb Mount Everest? And when we look at these mountains or when we look at the ocean, I've looked at this ocean like a hundred thousand times, not a hundred thousand, but a hundred, maybe like a thousand times. And every time I look out at the ocean, it like there's a part of me that gets inspired because I'm like, oh my, but it's, it's, it's like it seems like it's endless. It's so big. It's so grand. It's so amazing. It's because we as human, as human beings, we were created to look at the greatness of our God. We were created not to just look at a computer screen. It's because our souls were not meant to stare at created things, but our souls are made to look upon the greatness of our God. That's why everything gets bigger. TVs get bigger. I went to Highmark the other day. I was like, have, I had a meeting, and I got there early, so I just, we're meeting by a Highmark. I got into this Highmark, and I looked at this TV, and the thing was bigger than, like, our living room, right? It was huge. It was like our living room window. It's pretty big, but it was, like, bigger than that, and it was, like, curved, and it, it was, like, like, ultra, ultra, ultra HD, like, like, it was, it, and it was like a, like a billion dollars, right? It's really expensive. He said, how much is this? And he told me, and I was like, are you kidding me? That's like the price of a house. But because our, like, we love looking at, our phones are getting bigger. Who has an iPhone 10, right? It's, when you look at it, the screen looks huge. I remember my first iPhone was like this big. I remember the first phone I had was like, I had a, a LCD screen this big, and all I can do was play that, that snake, right? Nokia, da 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 right? But now we have these screens that are just gigantic. It's big. We like big, great, grand things, infinite things. This is a theory that I came up with recently. It's not supported by anything. But I believe that human beings are addicted to Internet because the Internet is just a small pale, like, like a small example of infinity. Right? Because there is an infinite amount of things in the Internet. Have you ever been down through that rabbit hole where you're like, you just Google who was the guy that was starred in the movie Shazam? And you go to his IMDb page, and you're looking at it, and then you see a trailer for something. And you're like, oh, this looks good. Like, oh, and then all of a sudden, you're looking at space videos. And you're looking at videos about the, how big the universe is. And then you look at, and you see a video about UFOs and UFO conspiracies. And then you look at area, you know, six, whatever that thing is. And then you're looking at, and all of a sudden, you go to, like, like, like you know, animals, extinct animals that are hidden under. You look, read about Loch Ness monsters and monsters that are like 
come out on shore. Then you go down this rabbit hole, and all of a sudden you started out at the movie Shazam, and you're looking at mythical creatures that used to live a long time ago. You go down this, and you spend like two hours of your time, and you, you just scratched the surface of just a little bit of what the Internet actually is, right? I believe that we are hooked on the Internet because it's just a part of our soul that is meant to experience the Internet. Our souls are created to experience the Internet. That's how we're actually drawn to the Internet, right? We love the fact that it's the Internet. Literally, the infinite and beyond. To infinity and beyond, right? That is the way that God created us. God did not create us for us to live in these boxes and in, this, in, in a home, and we live here in this location. He created us to be able to experience the internet. The potential for the intimate, for the in infinite has been crammed into our finite bodies. And so we seek out bigger and greater and grander. So people, when they get hooked on traveling, right, they, it's like an addiction sometimes. Our, our pastor Noah went to Europe for two months a few months ago. She's going back for another three months, right? Because she, 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 she loves experiencing new things and going to new places and seeing things that she's never saw before. That's just a small figment, of, just like a little picture of what we're going to experience when we experience intimacy and each other with God. That's what we have through the resurrection. That's the hope that we have in the resurrection. We no longer have death, but we have hope of a life that is eternal and greater and grander than anything we can imagine in this world. Next, we, we also have the hope of our resurrection. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a hope for our resurrection. It says, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a physical, bodily resurrection. A body that can eat, drink, is what we will experience when Jesus Christ returns and we are all glorified with him. There were these people a long time ago, they were called the Gnostics. And they believed that they were the heretics in the early church. And they believed that anything of the physical world, physical matter was evil. And everything of the spirit was good. And so Jesus, they believed, was not actually a physical human being. He seemed to have a physical body, but he was actually spirit. They actually deny the fact that Jesus was fully human, which is bonkers because Jesus tells them, like, touch me. I'm not a spirit. Feel my hands. I'm going to eat this fish. Watch me eat this fish, right? right? And I believe he did this to really show us that the resurrection that we will experience when he comes back is a physical resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus points to our resurrection from the dead. He, when he comes back and we're in heaven, we're, gonna, we're not going to be floating around in, in the clouds. You know, those images that we have in heaven, we're floating around in clouds. Where we're, I don't know why, but we're all wearing choir robes. And we have, a, we have a harp and we have wings. And we're just floating around in the clouds and we're just playing our harp. Right? A lot of people feel that 
un- think that that's the, the definition of heaven for them. But this is an unbiblical understanding of heaven. Or the idea that we're going to have, we're not going to be, we're not going to be bodiless. We're going to be bodiless spirits that float around in the infinite of the universe. This is a unbiblical understanding of heaven and of eternity. The resurrection of Jesus give us, gives us a picture of what our heaven will look like. We will have physical bodies just like Jesus. And Revelation 21 tells us of the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And it's this hope of hope. We're going to be living like this, like the we are right now. We're just going to be glorified and we're going to be perfected. When people have this unbiblical understanding of heaven, you know, and it may seem boring. It may even feel suffocating, doing nothing for eternity, just singing praise to your God. It seems boring to me, right? Floating around forever in eternity. But we have to understand that God loves us and he knows us. How many of you guys know that we are all made in him in his image and the things that gives us joy is the same thing that gives God joy. So when we, you know, when we get excited and when we like go on a trip somewhere and see new things, that joy that we get isn't from man, it's from God. God gave us gave us that 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 the the the, the desire to explore and see new things and experience new things. That's not a human trait. That is a godly trait. That is something that was given to us by God, right? When we when we like jump out of a, a airplane and you know like or we do a jump bungee jump or we go paragliding, whatever it is, that excitement and that that the endorphin that that's not man made. That is created by God. We have to understand that He loves us. He love He knows us. We were made in His image, and our resurrection of our life in eternity will be greater than anything that we could possibly imagine with our feeble, finite mind. We can't imagine heaven right now because our brains and our minds are not able to comprehend it because we're not prepared. We can try to think of the most, like, a a, a place where chocolate flows and, like, like we could pick gummy bears off trees and like bacon. Like there's a there's 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 guys with like wheelbarrows of bacon and like you know like we can go anywhere in a in an instant. And, uh, these are all things that our human minds, our feeble human minds, could try to come up with. But that's nothing compared to what God, who is the infinite Creator of all things, can can prepare for us as we go with Him into eternity. He said the the first things have passed away. Revelation. You know what that means? All of the earthly, worldly things now will pass away, and we're going to upgrade to 2.0. You know? Imagine, remember like Windows 98, you know? Imagine that, and then imagine like Mac OS 1300, whatever it is, right? This, this, is, a new, this is a completely different plane that we're going to be going into. And we have to understand that this is from God, and, and the things that bring us joy. In Christ is going to be perfected, and it's, it's the stuff that brings us joy. But and and you know, we're, with our feeble minds, we can't grasp eternity, and we can't grasp heaven because we were never made for it. And we were supposed to look to Christ and put our faith in Him. And that faith means that whatever awaits us in heaven is going to be greater than whatever we have here on earth. But we do know this. There will be no sin. There will be no pain, no tears, no fears, no death. And we'll have all joy, all 
love, all patience, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all the things of the spirit you will have. I don't know about you, but I believe that the creator of the world and the universe with all of the intricate and amazing things that are in this world, right, the way that, like, our brain works. Have you ever just thought about the, even our eyeballs? You know how a man has not created a camera that is more powerful than our eyeballs, right? The fact that I can look at that and look at this instantly, right? Have you, you know, cameras can't really do that yet. A camera can focus on that, but it takes some time to focus on this. But I can focus on that and this instantly. It's like, it's like so quick. That's amazing. Have you ever seen a frog, right? Born an egg, all of a sudden it becomes a tadpole, and then hands and feet literally grow out from the side of his body, and his tail goes away, and he becomes a frog. That is amazing. That is so intricate and so like, you know, it's only God. Imagine the God that created the frog and all of the amazing billions of things in this universe and in like infinite things in this universe. Imagine what he could pre- prepare for us in his creativity. He is the ultimate creator. You guys think, oh, I'm so creative. Like, oh, I don't dress like that. I dress like this. Like, that's not even creativity, right? Right? Like, hipsters will be like, oh, man, I wear this rainbow belt, and I wear this fedora hat. Uh, they think they're being creative. Creativity came from God. He is the ultimate creator. And imagine what he can do for us. When he creates a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It blows my mind. And we're not supposed to be able to understand it now because our minds are finite. But when he comes back and holds it over, that is the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the hope that if we put our faith in him and in his resurrection, God will outdo anything that we can possibly imagine in this heaven. That is the hope that we have. Next, the resurrection. Um, the resurrection gives us power. I'm going to read for you. It says, "Then he said to them, "These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled." Then he ordered their minds to understand the scripture. He opened their minds to understand the scripture. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you, sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we as his people have the power of the Holy Spirit. The breath of God that created the universe is in us. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And as he went up, he says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The power of the Holy Spirit is at, is at work in us. The spirit that created the universe is at work in us who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing that we have to understand about the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And we can never forget, forget this. The power of the Holy Spirit is not about using the power of the Holy Spirit. God is not a, at our disposal. He's not a tool that we can use. 
He's not a, he's not a weapon that we could wield. And he's not a fortune cookie. It's not about using the Holy Spirit, but it's being used by the Holy Spirit. We are to allow Holy Spirit to lead and use us, not for our will, but for the will of the Father. And when we do this, I'm telling you, you will experience supernatural things and powerful things in your life. So many people think that the Holy Spirit is something that we can use. I think our church in the past, we, we kind of felt like this was something that to do, that we would use the power of the Holy Spirit. We would wield the power of the Holy Spirit. First, the thing is, we have to understand is, Holy Spirit is not a thing. Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. And he's not something that we wield, but he wields us. It's not about surrender. It's about surrendering to the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, and for us to be used by him to advance the kingdom of God and to bring God's will upon this earth. And I talked about it last week. But we have to have a spirit that is in step with the word of God. We have to be in the word of God. Who wrote the Bible? You know who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And as we read the word of God and we meditate on the word of God, he leads us into truth. And the word of God becomes spirit of life in us. Holy Spirit is the one that brings the word of God alive in us. We have to yield to the things of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and all of the fruits of the Spirit. And we, as we start to yield to love, as we start to yield to patience, when, when I'm confronted by the aircon salesman and I'm like, ah, oh, and I just, I yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. The story I told last week. As I yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, he bears fruit in us. And we're transformed into the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's about being empowered by the Holy Spirit as he indwells in us. He dwells in us, and as we yield to him, his power is at work in us. He transforms us. He leads us in a path to righteousness. He leads us in a path to following God's will. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And as he went to heaven, he promised that he would send us the Holy Spirit. And if you put our faith in him, you have God living in you. But we have to know that Holy Spirit have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And we have to know that it's not a tool that we can use, but we are the tools that he is to use, he is going to use to bring about transformation, not, in our, not just in our lives, but in the, in the areas around you, in the places you work, in your families, and all the things that you come into contact with. Holy Spirit will utilize you, will empower you, will equip you to bring about transformation for him. We have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us because of the resurrection. And lastly, resurrection gives us a purpose. I'm going to read to you Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. When Jesus rose from the death, dead, he conquered death for us. He reunited us back to relationship with God. And he empowered us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gave us a purpose. 
He gave us a commission. He gave us a mandate. He gave us a job. And this job isn't just for pastors and missionaries and ministers, but it's for all of us. Ephesians 4, 11 through, thir- 11 through 13, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the building of the body of Christ. The purpose is for all of us that, that put their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you can't have a career. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your job and sell everything and go off and become a missionary. Some of you are supposed to do that. And you, some of you are actually supposed to quit your job and go off and become a missionary. God will lead you into that. I'm not going to do it. I don't want that responsibility. Right? But God will do that for you. Some of you are called to do this. Some of you are called to do full-time ministry. God will lead you there. I don't want to be the person that tells you because I, it, after you've been a pastor for 20 years, I don't want you to come back and be like, how dare you, you know? God will lead you into this. As long as you are being led by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will lead you into this. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. It doesn't mean that you have to become a missionary. It doesn't mean you've got to be a martyr. Some people will say, like, I feel like I'm supposed to be a martyr. You don't know that. <laughs> God knows that. And God will be with you at that moment when you're a martyr. But it means that you live a life in a way in which you are led by the Holy Spirit, unashamed of the gospel, being led in love, People around you, you allow the people around you to see Christ in you. And you use, you are used by the Holy Spirit to raise up disciples in the church, in your workplaces, within your kids. You're all supposed to raise kids that are godly and spiritual. That's, you know, that's a mandate that God gave you. First, the first thing that God said is be fruitful and multiply, right? And the, and, the, and the design that God gives us through Abraham is that Abraham is supposed to pass on to his children and his children's children and children's children the ways of God. We're supposed to raise up disciples in our families and impact the world around us for Christ. You live your life with a purpose that is beyond this world. You live your life knowing that it's not all about this world, but the world that is to come. And we live a life knowing that the implications of the risen Lord, of a resurrected Jesus Christ, is the reality that we base everything on. Is your life based on, on, the, on the realization that Jesus Christ right now is alive and is in heaven and is waiting? He can't wait to come back. He's just waiting right now. He's like, I can't wait to come back. You know, you know like, have you ever gave, like, bought something, like the perfect gift for somebody? Like imagine, you know, like I remember, I remember when, it, when I would buy something for Mina and, and, and like I bought, like she had this, she had this like um, like like Hello Kitty doll that was given to her by her ex-boyfriend, and she still had it, right? She still had it when we were dating. I think she still had it when we got married or something. Right? I remember I threw that joint away, right? And I'm like, man, I think I snuck into her apartment. I threw that joint away, right? And I went, and I went to this one place, and I, and I bought her a better Hello Kitty doll. <laughs> I remember when I was, when I was going, and I, I had my scooter in front, I was like, oh, I can't wait till I give this to her. I'm going to blow her mind, right? Oh, I can't wait till I give this to her. Like, like, I was so thoughtful. I was so romantic. I was also very vengeful, right? Very jealous, right? But imagine Jesus has this amazing gift for us that we can't even comprehend with our mind. And he is in heaven. He's like, oh, I can't wait 
I can't wait till Amanda sees what she's going to be when she's with me. I can't wait till, like, till like, like AJ is able to be in this place with me and, and he gets to do all of these amazing, like, dude, Jesus is in heaven. Do you be, is that the reality that you base your life on? Or do you believe that the resurrection is just myth and fairy tale? How hopeless that is. Our identity, our purpose, our hope, our power, the very unction that helps us function comes from the truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. That he is alive right now. There is a Jewish man in heaven right now. I talk about it before. He has hairy arms. The Jewish people have hairy arms. He has a beard. He, he, he is a Jewish man in all his shape. He has the holes in his wrist and his feet. He is alive in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and he is waiting to come back. Do you believe that, church? Is that in a reality in your life? Is that a reality that directs your life? Is that the reality that, 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 that motivates you and gives you that unction in your life? Or is it just something that you kind of put into the back of your mind and say, oh, maybe... Maybe not, but I'm just going to live the way that I can live because based on my understanding. That is the difference between a born-again believer and one that is, that is Christian just by name. And, and the Bible talks about it. Like, oh, how, how sad it will be when people live their whole life believing that they're saved and they come to the, to the, to the, to the, the point of judgment and, they, and they, people say, I don't know you. You didn't put your faith in me. You put your faith in money. You didn't put your faith in me. You put your faith in, in, in your job, in your career. You became CEO. But you didn't do it the way that I wanted you to do it. Our life, our everything must be based on this one truth, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he is alive. Amen. Who loves to laugh? Anybody loves to laugh? I love laughing. I remember the other day, Ethan, we were all at the dinner table, and Ethan and Ezra, I forget, somebody did something, but we all broke out laughing. Just, <laughs> so funny. I, I forgot what it was. I just remember laughing. Have you ever laughed so hard that you wake up, you get out of the laugh, and you feel a little lightheaded, and you see a like, little stars like around you, right? Have you ever laughed that hard? You know, I believe that that is just a little bit of heaven, because I believe laughter is heavenly. God gave us laughter. Laughter is truly heavenly. And I remember laughing one time. I was actually in prison. And, and somebody said a joke. And the whole place just erupted in laughter. And we laughed so hard. And, and I remember coming out of it. And I just felt like, I felt like lighter. I felt like I could fly. I always felt like I could fly. Because I believe that laughter is heavenly. It's just a small taste of what you're going to experience in heaven. We are all, we can, none of us know what heaven's going to be like. But we know that it's true. And we know that it's there. And we know that we're going there because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to end with this sermon with our last passages from Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have, you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they, glor and, and they glory in their shame, 
with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We have a citizenship that is not of this world. This is not our final destination. That's why we have to live like this is not our final destination. Imagine if you're going, you're going to like, what's a, what, what is, who wants to go, what's like one place that you always wanted to visit? Disney World. Imagine you're on your way to Disney World, right? You're on it. The Magic Kingdom, Epcot, all of the amazing things. Like, you know, like Matterhorn and, you know, like what is that star? That ride? I don't know. I haven't been to Disneyland in like 20 years. Space Mountain. All these amazing things that you're going to see and, and all of these, these, these like you're so excited to get to Disneyland. And on your way to Disneyland, you have a labor layover in like Yakima or some like small town in the Midwest. I don't know. Some... And, and, and you're on this way to Disneyland, and you're on this layover, and all of a sudden, you just stay where you are in your layover. You're, you're in your layover. I, want, I don't want to pick, like, a city that some of you guys are from. So, <laughs> like, Duluth, Idaho. Is that right? Is it Idaho? I don't know. Your, 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 your layover is in, is in Sacramento, California. I know none of y'all are from Sacramento, California. Whatever it is. Imagine you're on your way to Disneyland, but you settle for your layover. And you start to put down roots in your layover. I'm going to rent an apartment in Sacramento. I'm going to stay here in Sacramento. I'm going to see what I can do and what I can get in Sacramento. And your final destination is Disneyland. Your final destination. You are not a citizen of this world. But God, through his resurrection, gave you a citizenship to a place into existence that none of us could possibly imagine. Let's all stand up and let's pray.